0: And turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 8. We're going to begin reading in a few moments in verse 20, Genesis 8, 20. To remind you where we are in the text, uh, we've, uh, we're just coming to the end of the, the narrative of the flood. Uh, we, we get sort of three portions in the narrative, uh, the initial approach of God to Noah, telling Noah that a flood is coming, giving him instructions for building the ark, uh, the rain's coming and the flood's coming. Uh, and then we get this, uh, this, this structural cue here in chapter 8, verse 1 but God remembered Noah. Uh, we get the second part then of this flood narrative, uh, the description of the, the flood waters receding and of Noah and his family finally being delivered from the flood. And then this morning we come to the third and final portion of the flood narrative with Noah having left the ark. Noah uh, building an altar and making offering to God. God then promising never to flood the earth again, never to destroy the whole earth again as long as the, the earth is, uh, it remains, and then finally giving a sign of that promise as well. So today we, we are going to be looking particularly at what's often referred to as the Noahic covenant. So... As we do this this morning, uh, I especially appreciate uh, last Sunday, Jay Hager, it was a a very quick reference that he made, but he pointed out that in the flood narrative, we're getting not only a, a destruction of the earth, but a description of the recreation of the earth. It follows a pattern very similar to the creation narrative. Uh, In creation, you'll remember, in those first two chapters, we also have what we refer to as the covenant of works. God came to Adam and Eve. He gave them instructions. He gave them commands. Adam and Eve, having broken that covenant by their sin, they and all of their offspring have come under the curse of that covenant. The perfect righteousness that that covenant demands has not, at this point in the narrative, been met. So we're we're under a double curse. We lack the righteousness that the covenant of works requires. And we have the the curse of breaking that covenant on us. We wanna keep that in mind as we read this morning and God reiterates this covenant of works. Let me pray and then we'll read our text this morning. Fathers, we open up your word this morning. We're thankful for this word. We acknowledge that even as we read it, it's, it's only by the work of your spirit uh, your work, uh, the, the work of your spirit in me as the preacher this morning, and in the hearts and minds of all those who hear that you accomplish your work. We're so thankful, Father, that you've promised to accomplish that work, that everything that you intend this morning will be accomplished, that your word does not return void, but that it, it does all that you intend it to do. And so, Father, have your way with us this morning, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Hear the reading of God's word, Genesis 8, beginning in verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything." When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, There's so much in this morning's text. We see this beautiful image of Christ, first of all, in Noah. Noah, who we know to be a sinner. We know he's descended from Adam. He's under the curse. Uh, And in next week's text, we're going to see his particular sin. But at this point in the narrative, Noah is a type of Christ. He's been called righteous in all the earth. Uh, He is the one uh, through whom God is saving mankind at this point in redemptive history. And as that righteous one through whom salvation comes, we see Noah here who builds an altar to the Lord. And notice that he, he doesn't merely sacrifice, but he took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. It's a lavish offering that Noah makes to God here. And it's not just a thank offering. It's not just Noah saying, glad we got through that. I acknowledge that God is the one who brought us through that. God, here's a sign of my acknowledgement of your salvation. Look at the result of what Noah does here. Verse 21, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. God is propitiated here. God is appeased, if you will. He is pleased with the sacrifice. The wrath of God on the continuing sin in the world is averted. It is turned away by Noah's offering here. Now, just like all of the the, the temple sacrifices and the author of Hebrews looking at, at those sacrifices and acknowledging that the blood of bulls and goats can never atone for sin, this is not a true and final atonement. But what it does point to is a Christ, a Messiah that is coming, future to Noah here, whose sacrifice will be a lavish sacrifice, whose sacrifice will appease the wrath of God and turn that wrath away from his people. And so that's our entrance into the text this morning. We come into this text, Noah is going to transition himself this morning uh, as a symbol in the text. He goes from being a symbol of Christ here to being a symbol of Adam as a a new start begins in the world. It would be tempting for us to read this, this new beginning And think perhaps that covenant of works from the garden has been put away. And it's no longer in effect that the flood was the final judgment of God in the covenant of works. And that now God is beginning brand new, completely fresh. God is going to to instruct us this morning in the text uh, so that we will not make that mistake. But we'll understand that the covenant of works is still in effect. And so first this morning, we still live in a fallen world. We still live in a fallen world. Again, we might be forgiven for thinking that the flood was this final act of judgment in the covenant of works. It was not that final act, but instead it's meant to point to that final act act. It it points forward to a final act of judgment, which will mean the complete destruction of the world and everyone in it, except for those who are being saved by God. How do we know that it's not that final act? Look at chapter 9 and verse 1. God reiterates here, in case Noah has any question, is that covenant of works still in effect? Are we still in need of a savior? God reiterates the terms of the covenant. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He's going to close these instructions a few verses later by repeating this. Be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. And so what we've had is in last week's text, we get this, this uh, description of the, the floods subsiding that if we take uh, the time to carefully examine it, looks like a, a restatement of creation. And having recreated, if you will, we now have this Adam figure, Noah, uh, the, the one patriarch in all the world, and what does God say to Noah? Noah. But he reiterates the the commands given to Adam. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. There's even this reference to what they might eat. God gives uh, in the creation account all of the the green things to Adam and Eve to eat. Here, he's going to to come back to that instruction and expand upon it. He says in verse 3, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, so here God himself referring back to the creation narrative, as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Going back to that narrative, we also came to understand pretty quickly in the creation and the fall accounts and Cain and Abel that man's life is not to be taken by any but God and to take life unjustly is murder and God will not overlook it. And here he reiterates that command as well. There's even the hint here, a reminder that they are still in a fallen world. Why else would God have to say, when an animal takes the life of a man, the life of the animal is forfeit. And when a man takes the life of a man, that man's life is forfeit. It anticipates the fact that the world is not now suddenly made whole and perfect, but the curse of the garden and the fall still resides on mankind. The covenant of works with its demands for perfect righteousness and its curse for sin and disobedience, that covenant of works still stands. It still curses. It still makes demands of God's people. So, what does it mean for us this morning to still be living in a fallen world? First, it means that all people are still under the curse of the covenant of works, of course, apart from Christ that covenant of works is what condemns us we we are apart from christ condemned to the wrath of god but i want you to understand it's not merely because you know yourself to be a sinner because you sin even behind that even truer than your particular sins apart from jesus christ you are in adam you are under the curse that Adam and all of his offspring are under, you are by nature a sinner. That curse still stands and that is still the world in which we live. The fact that the covenant of works still stands means that the final judgment of the covenant of works is still future. God uh, does this fantastic thing here where He gives us this illustration. Uh, by means of this historical event, of what it looks like for him to judge all the earth. But he hasn't done this since. We're going to get into that promise in our next point. He hasn't done this since. And he'll never do it again until he comes to the, the final judgment itself. It means that mankind is still in need of a Savior. Of course, that Savior has come in Jesus Christ. That salvation is held out to us. But this is the reality of the world in which we live. We cannot ignore the reality of sin. We can't ignore the reality of the final judgment that's coming. God has not had a little fit here, gone a little overboard, got a little carried away, and promised never to make that mistake again. He has very intentionally and with perfect justice executed his wrath against sin in such a, a complete way, in such a universal way that we can no longer question the justice of it or the reality of it. History is, is not an unending cycle in, in which we repeat the same patterns over and over again without end and it will just always be this way. History is moving towards a particular point And that point is the judgment and salvation of God. Both are on display here in the flood and the deliverance of Noah. And this is the reality that the covenant of works is still in effect. Every single person in the world today who is not trusting in Christ and repenting of his or her sin is under the judgment of the covenant of works. And that judgment has fallen on Jesus Christ for those who will trust in him and it will fall on each person personally who refuses to trust in Christ. Second, this morning, God is withholding his final judgment. Look at verse 8, chapter 9, verse 8. Earlier, in, at the end of 8, uh, where we read, God is talking to himself when he is appeased by Noah's offering. But here, he's going to speak to Noah To destroy the earth. God is currently withholding his final judgment. He's promised not to destroy every living thing on earth again until the final judgment. God's promised that life in this fallen world will will not be an unending cycle of wiping the planet clean of sinners and starting over. God's promise, however, not to destroy. We need to read carefully. We might, in a, uh, a careless reading of the text, think here that God has promised never to execute judgment. that there, he's, he's promised that there will never be a final judgment. But there are two particularly qualifying aspects to God's promise here. In chapter 8, verse 22, he says, while the earth remains, the, the promise here, I will never again curse the ground because of man, Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done is not an unqualified promise. It is a promise never to do this again as long as the earth remains. But God has revealed to us in His Word the earth will not always remain. A day is coming when the earth and all that is in it will be destroyed by fire. A final judgment is coming until that day, this is God's promise. He qualifies it again here in the verses we've just read, 8 through 11. He says, I will never again destroy by the waters of a flood. That's a qualification. Because in the final judgment, God's not going to repeat this particular judgment. It will not be a flood that drowns everyone. It will be a fire that burns everything up. So, the promises that we read here in the Noahic Covenant, they're not a promise to never judge again. They are God's promise that until the final judgment, He will not universally judge and destroy the world. It's a covenant. We should be careful, I think, not to mistake this as a part of the unfolding covenant of grace. Why do I say that? The covenant of grace is made with God's people uniquely. Not everyone belongs to the covenant of grace, but only those who will trust in Christ and repent of their sins. But that's not who God makes a covenant with in this morning's text. In this morning's text, God makes a covenant with all things, with the earth itself and all of the beasts and all of mankind. This is a universal covenant that God makes. God is promising in this covenant to withhold His final judgment. It's a temporal promise, it's limited in its scope. And so what are we to make of God's promises here? First this morning, God was gracious and merciful to give us this example of the coming judgment. Don't miss this. Again, it's not only not God letting things get out of hand, it's not just God executing a just judgment against the world. But God has ordained this flood, this judgment, to stand as an example in all of history to the world that He will judge and that His judgment will be just. He's gracious and merciful to give us this example of the coming judgment. There's a sense in which, uh, to use a, a common illustration, by showing us this judgment, God has, has stepped out into the middle of the road to stop the oncoming traffic to tell them that the bridge is out ahead. That, that's a great act of love. If you're in the car and you're in a rush to get somewhere and you're annoyed that he might stop you and keep you from getting where you need to be as quickly as you would like to get there, if you know the bridge ahead to be out because he's told you, then when you come to accept that, you're very thankful because it's saved your life. God has executed a just judgment against the sin in the world here, but it's not merely for the sake of satisfying His justice. He does this in history so that this will be held up as an example to us, He is gracious and merciful to give us this example. What else are we to make of God's promises here, never to destroy again? we should not fall into the pattern of living as though judgment isn't coming or simply because it seems to be delayed. It's been a long time since this example of God's judgment. Uh, Scholars, even among evangelicals among themselves, uh, cannot agree on how best to date the flood. You've got young earth theories and old earth theories We can date Abraham fairly confidently to around 2,100 years before Christ, the flood, of course, sometime before that. So it's been at least 4,000 years since the flood, maybe much longer. It's tempting, and Scripture even speaks to this, tempting to say that God doesn't execute justice that no final judgment is coming. Where is the evidence of God and his justice in the world? The evidence is here. The evidence is in the narrative of the flood, the example that God made of the the just judgment against the sin of the world. And so the world should not give in. Scripture says the fool says in his heart there is no God. We who know Christ would never say such a thing. We do, though, in our fight against sin, too often live as though that's what we believed. We too often live as though God's judgment is never coming in the world. Third this morning, we should recognize this pause for what it is, an opportunity to share the gospel with the lost. Remember, God's been doing this over and over. Most recently in the text, he did it when he said to himself, I'm not going to let this go on. And then for 120 years, God waited. He withheld his judgment. And it wasn't a silent 120 years, but during that time, Noah was building the ark. His building the ark being a testimony against the sin of the world, and a testimony to the coming judgment of God. God waited 120 years, during which time through Noah, he said to the world, your sin deserves my wrath, and that wrath is coming. God was patient. That gap of 120 years between God's determination to destroy and him fulfilling that determination, it anticipates The gap between this flood and the second coming of Christ. God says in his word that he's not willing that any should perish. He sends us out into the world to tell the world about the coming judgment. Why has it been so long since the flood? How much longer might it be before Christ comes again? We don't know the answers to these questions, but God, by His grace, has told us why it's going to be so long. Why has it been so long, and why might it be longer still? Because God is patient, and we are in the world, and like Noah, called to proclaim to the world through our lives and through our words that judgment is coming, but that God has provided a way out. This is how we ought to be living in the world, acknowledging, thankful that God is withholding his judgment, eager to tell others about this judgment and the salvation that God has given us. Finally, this morning, God always gives signs to go with his promises. Look at verse 12. Having made this covenant promise, in verse 12, God gives a sign. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. God's covenant signs are remarkable examples of his grace and mercy and stooping to meet us where we are. He gives us these reminders, these signs. God speaks right? Our faith is a a word-based faith. We are a people of the book. God speaks to his people by his word and spirit, and we have that word as a promise. But God also knows our weakness, and as often as we find him making promises in scripture, we find him also giving signs of the promise. And those signs are always tangible things sensible things. In the garden, there was the promise of life held out to Adam and Eve, and the sign of that promise was the tree of life. It wasn't some magical tree that had the ability inherently to impart eternal life. It was a symbol, a sign of the life that God imparts by their obedience. We have the rainbow here in the flood narrative. With Abraham and the covenant of Abraham, we have circumcision. With the people of Israel, we have Passover. In Christ, we have the Lord's Supper and baptism. God is always making promises to His people and giving us signs of those promises. So He not only pronounces this promise to Noah and records it in Scripture, but He puts the promise on display in creation. Remember, it's a universal promise. It's a promise to everyone and every creature. And so the symbol, unlike the table where we we gather together and it's, it's only in here that we come to this table and even in here gathered together, it's only those who are in Christ who come to this table. The covenant made with Noah is a universal covenant and so the sign is a universal sign. Rainbows are not uncommon in most of the habitable parts of the world, and somewhere in the world, at any given moment, a rainbow is on display. They can be majestic and powerful. They can cause us to stop what we're doing and just gawk in awe of the beauty of the sign, and they can be as simple As rainbows seen in the spray of the sprinklers as children play in the yard on a summer day, God's sign of His promise is everywhere. He's always generous to give us such signs when He makes promises to us. And that's how these signs ought to be understood. They're reminders of His grace and His mercy, reminders of His promises, reminders of His power and His faithfulness to keep His promises. As much as He holds them out to us, they are acts of of fellowship. When we come to the table, eating and drinking, drinking by faith, we are expressing the truth that we have a share in Christ, that we share in His sufferings now and will one day share in the glorification of His humanity. The rainbow is not a sign we partake in as such because the covenant to which it points, again, is is universal, and it's not only universal, but it's, it's not contingent. God doesn't say, do this and I will this. He simply promises, I will never do this again, and He will keep that promise. We do... Not have to do anything in this Noahic covenant. God has sworn that he will never flood the whole earth again. And the rainbow points to his promise. But it's a sign nonetheless of a promise that God has made. And which he will never break. When we see a rainbow. We're taught to remember God's promise. And more than that. In remembering his promise. We're, we're taught to remember. To be reminded of his goodness. It may seem like a silly thing to insist upon. But brothers and sisters, when you see a rainbow, the mere beauty of it is not the point. We're often struck, awestruck by the beauty of it. But we've got to push past that. We've got to see in the rainbow itself and in the beauty of that rainbow, the promises and the beauty of the promises that stand behind it. We ought to think explicitly, of God and his promises and his faithfulness as often as we see the rainbow. We're taught by that rainbow that God is patient with mankind. Look again at the opening verses. God doesn't decide never to do this again because it turns out we're pretty good folks after all. When God smelled the pleasing aroma, verse 21, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart Is evil from his youth. God is is absolutely clear on who and what we are, but he's patient with mankind. Second, he's not willing that any should perish. When we see a rainbow, we should be reminded that that patience is not merely for the sake of revealing him to be patient, but that patience serves a purpose that those who are in rebellion against him would hear the gospel and believe and be saved. We should remember when we see a rainbow that God is patient, that he's not willing that any should perish. It's not intuitive, but the the rainbow is also a reminder that the final judgment is coming. And such a reminder is a loving and gracious thing when we see the rainbow. We not only remember God's promises, but we remember the context in which those promises were made. When we see the rainbow, we remember the flood. And we remember that God has told us in his word that a final judgment is coming. But that he has delivered us from that judgment. And so as such, it's also a reminder of the salvation God provides the deliverance from that coming judgment just as he delivered Noah. When we see a rainbow, we not only remember that that rainbow represents God's promises not to destroy again until the final judgment. We not only remember the the event of the flood and the demonstration of God's justice and his wrath against sin, but we also remember that through that judgment, Through the execution of God's justice, he delivered Noah and his family. And just as he delivered Noah and his family, a day is coming when he will execute that final judgment, but he will deliver his people through the midst of that judgment. When we look up and see the rainbow, we're to be reminded of God's justice reminded of his patience, reminded of his great grace and mercy in sending Jesus Christ into the world to serve for us as an ark through that judgment. We should remember when we see a rainbow that there is absolutely no reason that anyone in the world should perish in the coming judgment except they refuse to enter the ark that God has provided in Jesus Christ. The flood is, it is and feels like such an ancient thing, more so even when you, you begin to study it than you, you read the other flood narratives in all of the cultures in the world. It seems every single culture has some cultural memory of this flood event. It seems so ancient to us, but God keeps it fresh. He keeps it on our minds. He keeps it front and center every single time we see the sign of this covenant. We're reminded of the flood and therefore of the judgment and salvation of God. And if it seems ancient, that seeming ancient quality is every bit for the purpose of reminding us that he's patient. God, in His grace and mercy, is patient with a rebellious, sinful world. This is what we take from this morning's text. we're, We're still in a world that is in the need of salvation, in need of Jesus Christ. God is patient. That final judgment has not yet come, but it is coming. And in the meantime, He gives us this sign to remind us that it's coming and to remind us that there is salvation in the midst of that final judgment let's pray